Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there, share this with your friends wherever you found it. Whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of the major places you can find, find podcast content, you can find our show. You can also connect with us on social media via Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com and follow us on Facebook, the Longhorn Republic. Well, my name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who has spent more time in the last seven days studying coaches' fingers than he has in his entire life. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. Yeah, just a little research. Tom Herman, not only a Mensa specialist, also a certified ornithologist. Um, what with his deep, deep um, levels of explanation of various birds. But no, um, Gerald, I'm I'm excited to talk about the things that matter and not the placement of any coach's fingers. So um, leave that as it is mr uh, mr herman pulled in a pretty good uh signing day but uh gerald this is we're going back to seeing each other virtually it was a pleasure it was my honor for all the listeners who are in the room in person uh thank you for being there and thank you for listening but uh, it was fun to do it live um we will uh we will hopefully have more of those in our future hit us up if we have some opportunities to uh to reach out get together and give you live podcast. Yeah, it was great being with the uh, the Tejas uh, Houston chapter. Yeah, the Tejas alumni. But between Tom Herman's middle fingers and uh, Barry Switzer ha- flashing a hook'em on the side of the road, um, it's been an interesting week for coaches and their hands. But uh, what could be considered the hand of the king and Tom Herman? Uh, there's been some uh, been some rumors and internet talk. Brett McMurphy posted on Sunday that current Ohio State passing game coordinator, former Oklahoma State offensive coordinator Mike Yurkich, is currently the leading candidate for the Texas vacant offensive coordinator position. Uh, when Tom Herman mentioned it in his uh, National Signing Day press conference, he said that the coaches that they were looking at, most of them were either in the NFL or playing in the, the a bowl game. And so this is very validating of that. So he's currently serving as the passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach for Ohio State. He spent 2013 through 2018 as the offensive coordinator for Oklahoma State, where he was nominated for the Broyles Award, which is the uh, top assistant coach in the country twice, uh, and really has shown an ability to be very, very balanced while still maintaining spread looks and spread personnel on the field. Yeah, I, first of all, Gerald, the imagery is wonderful. I need Tom Herman to now get pins made for his coordinators that have the hook'em that are just a brooch Game of Thrones style for the hands of the king for the the small council meetings. Um, it, I, sorry, I, I got distracted. Just my mind really ran off down a Game of Thrones tangent. But no, I think um, I think this is great. I think. You know, you just sounds like a football guy. You bring a guy on staff named Mike Yurkich to coach the, you know, the 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 football. You just know he's gonna he's gonna be pretty good, and he brings that uh, that I consider Oklahoma the the southern part of the Midwest, but that greater Midwest uh, Ohio and Oklahoma sensibility of of hopefully toughness uh, to an offense. But he also 
Um, he's a guy that everyone seems to respect immensely. Um, he gets a lot of credit for his innovation, a lot of credit um, just based on his success. He's, he's a guy who everyone in the business seems to um, hold in pretty high regard. And as soon as the news came out about him, there was nothing but positive kind of buzz around it. And so uh, we know a lot. We know a lot of people, but there's certainly a lot of people who know more than we do. And all of those people seemed uh, to feel pretty good about this. So even um, you and I, mentioning this briefly seemed seemed pretty psyched about it right this is uh this is a guy who in all of his stops has has had success and we we saw the the fruits of it unfortunately in that long streak where um texas couldn't beat uh couldn't beat oklahoma state i mean he 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 literally took taylor cornelius and led that to like a top 10 offense that beat a sugar bowl winning texas team so i mean the the, the guy knows how to do it with probably significantly less we'll talk about it the signing day uh here in a moment but significantly less talent on an oklahoma state roster you just hope that that translates to oh wow it can be even better with this level of talent yeah and and i think the thing that really excites me it's something that you know maybe i'm going to sound like an old head on this but like the fact that he knows how to run the ball and manufacture ground yardage while again maintaining an identity that texas currently has speaks volumes to me as as a offensive coordinator fit because the hardest thing in the world for a team when you're looking for instant success is have to learn an entirely new system right and that's why I think a lot, some of the talk with uh, with Graham Harrell died down because Texas would have to be a complete scrap job and kind of rebuild from the ground up and so Yurkic uh, runs pretty similar sets to what Texas does he has that diamond formation that uh, Oklahoma State kind of made famous uh, that now NFL analysts are like what we've never seen this before like watch some big 12 games play uh, so like <laughs> he's he's really been innovative and the fact that you know he's he manufactured running yards Justice Hill was a running back that he really propelled to the next stratosphere he got a year of Chuba Hubbard uh, Tyreek Hill I mean, he, he managed to get 1,500 yards out of Desmond Rowland, right? Two seasons of Desmond Rowland had like an 800 and a 700. So imagine what this guy can do with the talent that Texas has at the O-line because that's really been, I think, when you look at what Oklahoma State did successfully on the ground, it was a lot of scheming that he was able to do with the blocking game. And so him and Herb Hand being able to manufacture that, if, if that's the pairing and Herman gets out of his way and lets him call plays, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Absolutely. You think about the the quality that uh, the quality that he's going to have with Bijan Robinson. Chuba Hubbard is a fantastic running back, a fantastic recruit. Um, but you know, Bijan is is certainly at that talent level, or j- judging by his high school um, numbers, even better. Um, so it is an exciting thing to see. On top of obviously the the running backs in the stable, but I think the thing um, that's interesting with him is is they always have a balanced offense. He always runs about 50-50, just a balanced office. And it has success in both facets in his his 75-plus games. Um, as Oklahoma State's head, head uh, or offensive coordinator, I should say, um, they scored 50 or more points 15 times. They scored 40-30 uh, scored uh, times. So, I mean, they, they really know how to put up points are kind of the uh, down games or the times when we say, ah, oh, Texas plays at the level of their competition. Um I would love to be racking up 50-point games in our non-conference. I would love um, to have the opportunity to just go out and stomp people. But I would also love a guy who knows how to do it against Big 12 
uh, defenses and and in the spacing and things that you have with high powered Big Twelve offenses, where you don't, you know, you, you just your offense has to respond to what other elite offenses are doing. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. When we talked about Chris Ash, how Texas is like one or two stops away from being able to really like Texas was within seven points in three of their losses this year, which again that. It's a what ten and two year if we want to do the math on that. So like Texas is really able to uh, would be able to flip that. And so if you combine like again what what we hope Chris Ash can do, which is improve Texas by one stop a game with what Yurkic is doing on defense, like o- Oklahoma State won games via offense ninety nine percent of the time. I'll say eighty percent of the time they won games via offense. So if you combine that with halfway competent defensive coaching and recruiting then that's a, that's a recipe for success. And so the cupboard is fully stocked if Jurkic does come and, and the cupboard is fully stocked for Chris Ash, who actually met with the defensive players and said, guys, I'm excited, but next year it's open season and open competition, which I absolutely love. And again, the cupboard is stacked for Texas. Texas signed 17 as part of early signing day, lost a couple actually to Yurkic at Ohio State. Uh, some in-state receivers ended up going north thanks to his efforts. Uh, but Texas is currently the number nine class on 24-7 sports, lining up for their third consecutive best in the Big 12. Thanks in part to uh, Jace McClellan doing the – he left him at the altar. There's no other way to say that. Yeah. Uh, leaving OU as the runaway bride and heading – to Alabama. So Texas signed 17, 16 of them on the early signing day Wednesday and then picked up a kind of under the radar out of nowhere flip from Utah. Uh, Lone Star High School Jalen, a linebacker Jalen Ford signed with Texas out of nowhere. So a big day for Texas picking up and kind of restocking the cupboards. Yeah, I think you can talk about the talent of each of these players and I'm sure we will and I'm sure in our preview for next year when we dive deep we'll continue to give more but if you just take a holistic look it's a really, really good class. Um, Amidst a bit of a tempest right you lose both coordinators you're going to have some decommitments like that's just going to happen there's there's relationships with these kids form there's just the the uncertainty it gives the chance for negative recruiting i think you know we've we've all heard the stories at length um in herman's tenure and, and really in general texas is just a huge target uh, of negative recruiting from other coaches because you know it's an easy time until texas gets back to winning 10 games every year instead of one year um, an easy time to continue to attack but obviously it was a, a very um deep and rich uh pool for for coaches to try to attack and and, and that resulted in um seven players i believe were the total decommitments um so all told when you when you look at the 16 that signed or or you know really 17 um when you when you have uh, the the linebacker they they flipped from Utah um, that that is a really good haul. There's a ton of upside talent. There's a a good amount of day one come in talent ready. Obviously, think of a B. John Robinson, but there's there's multiple players. Um, I, I think Vernon Broughton's a guy who can come in right away and do some things. I think there's there's just a lot of talent in this class, um, and and you have kind of probably a couple more dominoes to fall that can make it even stronger. But again, like you said, the top recruiting class in the Big 12, the only five-star commit inked uh, in the Big 12 uh, right now. Um, 
And and my favorite thing, Gerald, you referenced it with with uh, Oklahoma losing their their star you know recruit of their class to Alabama on signing day. Uh, my favorite uh, players are obviously players who commit to the University of Texas. The players I root for uh, outside of that are the players who decommit and break the hearts of Aggies and Sooners. So there's a laundry list of those. Um, and so I'll, I'll I'll be rooting for uh, for anyone who who breaks the hearts and, and makes it a little tougher for Sooners and Aggies to watch football on Saturday. Two years that guy was. Committed. And then at the last minute, it was just like, nope, I'm going to go to Alabama. But the the addition of Jalen Ford kind of signals what Texas is going to be doing defensively because he definitely fits Chris Ash's 4-3 scheme. And so I think we're going to see he's more of your traditional 4-3. Yeah. And that's the same thing that you saw uh, with the commitment of Sawyer Gorham Welch. He is uh, more of a 4-3, um, like a five technique, basically, like a, that, that outside of the tackles. And so I think like you're seeing Texas start to, to shift their look a little bit already. And guys that are still on the board for Texas, uh, Cedar Creek defensive end Alfred Collins uh, has kind of been up and down with Texas. But there's a lot of heat that he will still end up in burnt orange, and he definitely is a uh, a four three defensive end. He's yeah, definitely a guy yeah. that can be on the outside of the tackle and rush the passer. Um, Bishop Dunn, linebacker Brendan Scott, kind of a surprise commit to Kansas. Uh, he was really hot on Texas for a while. He's another guy that could fit a four three scheme really well. Uh, and then a guy that that seems really likely to end up at Texas, Carthage uh, athlete Kelvante Dixon. He's the younger brother of Keontae Ingram. Yeah, and he balled out. So, I mean, it's I will take it. When when you make those promises, you better cash the checks. Um, and he did, and he looked fantastic um, for Carthage and, uh, and and really, truly looks to, to have as much explosive upside um, as we've seen Keontae have. Um, it'll be curious where exactly he slots. He's kind of an athlete listed. I think he can play multiple positions wherever probably he fits best um, on the on the early depth chart. But, uh, yeah, another great player. And I think, like I said, the, the, the class still has some movement um, because of the, the some of the people decommitted the numbers are a little low and, and honestly they have some spots with some portal folks um, there, there's still some movement to happen in this class there's no doubt about it so even though this is you know effectively the early signing day there's still a lot to watch and a lot of meat I think left on this bone so this should be an ex- exciting um, space to talk about and you know what that means Gerald it means more new logos how how cool i mean the best part of national signing day for me was the unbelievable work from the the you know graphics department of the university of texas athletics just crushing it yet again those logos are so freaking cool i would commit in a heartbeat I was like awestruck. Like they continue to do really really cool stuff uh for these players they they did a on a video trading card for these guys with the logo on it. Now, again, I said it on Twitter, but if you are like players, if players are listening to this, you got to take and pay full price for those tattoos. When you get these things inked <laughs> on your body, pay for them. Cause that's how dynasties are sunk, especially when it comes <laughs> to Ohio state coaches. Uh, let's not go ahead and get rang up with some uh, some violations. So Texas looking to close off this class strong. So a lot of players on the board. Texas holds pretty firmly to the top class in the Big 12 by whatever measure total com- – uh, not total commitments. They actually have a fairly low number of total commitments for 2020. However, if you look at the number of five stars, they got the only one. They have the a- the highest average star rating as well. And then the total number of recruiting points if you're looking at 24-7. And I believe in 24-7, yeah, they, they're number number nine. So squarely in the top ten and, and in striking distance of multiple 
um, SEC schools that, you know, just uh, SEC flation get get lobbed in there, but in striking distance to pass any number of them as they finish out their class because, again, the only other team was 17. Um, the only other team in the top, I don't even know how far you have to go, but certainly in the top 10 uh, when less than that is, is, or less than 20, I should say, is Georgia with 19. So every other school that's above them has um, anywhere from seven, you know, to, to four um, additional commit so there's a there's still some room Alabama with 26 for instance so if Texas uh, had nine more to go you would think that that uh, would only and can uh, continue to increase their overall points the addition of Collins and and uh, Dixon would be a big time they would probably move up in the signing class so now's the part of the show where we shine some light on the sports that don't necessarily get as much coverage as they likely should and we down the 40. So let's just go ahead and pull the Band-Aid off of this one first. Men's basketball absolutely crapped the bed against <sighs> Providence. 70 to 48. I I have no words to describe how frustrated and disappointed I am in this team at that moment. Yeah, it, it, to, to jump up to the macro before we break down a little bit, but the, the we had a question on... Our Thursday morning live talk is the Shaka still in the hot seat. You know, if you hadn't seen, he was off to a nine and one start, the best start through ten games in his coaching career. And I said, of course not with a start like that. Uh, you know, Big Twelve play well, obviously, but that that should that should you know at least get him to the tournament and get him. That. Let me immediately retract that. Um, this was this was a a, a tough. One of, if not the toughest uh, game, they were outscored forty-three to twenty in the first half, and they just looked like a junior high team out there that had, you know, came up against a, a bunch of guys who had been held back for two seasons before and just were older, bigger, playing a different level of basketball. Now there is the caveat that Providence had gotten their keister kicked before, and maybe they just woke them up, and this was the start of what was supposed to be a good team, one of Texas's, you know, harder non-conference games uh, of the season. But I mean. You're nine and two, sure, um, but you only have so many chances. The thing holding you back right now is your deplorable strength of schedule. You only have so many chances to go out and actually improve that. And when you take one of your probably three best chances of the of the non-conference, and you just you waste it, and and you not even just waste it, but you really just you know do do the the sheets. Uh, it just it just feels it feels bad. I I. I I am excited to see how unbelievably uh, remarkable the turnaround is in their next game. If they don't win by 50, um, then the seat should be – no, not 50, but truly they should beat High Point, one of the worst teams in the country. I think they're 341st ranked right now in the country by at least 30 points, um, or you should start really worrying if this is another close one. But to dive into this game, just a tough day. They couldn't shoot. Defense felt uneven. A much, much bigger team in Providence. Just one of the probably most stacked with, with size they'll play all season. Dominated them on the boards. They they were contesting shots at the rim, which led them to crash the paint behind that and just truly annihilate them. And in that, you have to say, did they get out coached? Um, but either way, I just think um, it was tough. It, it was it was a tough one. I mean, Liddell fouled out in 17 minutes. Like, that's that's just incredible. Matt Coleman, zero assists, five of 13 from the floor. Ramey scored 12 as the team's leading scorer. Like, they only scored 20 points in the second half. 
Like I, in the, I yeah. in the first half, excuse me, they only scored 20 yeah. points in the first half. Like I've tried to be a Shaka apologist and I'm starting to feel like late stage Charlie, Charlie strong. Yeah. Where it's just yeah. like they're, they're good in spots. And then they, they just have, this feels, this isn't quite as bad as the Kansas loss I'll say, but it's pretty darn close. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, right? It would be like if Kansas was a, you know, was was picked to maybe finish as high as fourth in the Big Twelve preseason, and then they just look like, oh wait, actually we were wrong. They're not very good. I think that's what happened with Providence. Like, oh, this is a good team. It's like, oh, actually, no, they're not very good. But maybe, like, maybe this is one we look back on, and Providence has a great run after this, and we feel a little better about it. But I'll tell you what, sitting here right now, I don't feel good at all. This is. The, the nine and one was kind of washed and because he got off to a strong start otherwise just eking out victories I guess I'll call it not you know he's he's in the hole but he's he's back at zero and that's that's a tough place to be when you have a really tough big 12 slate looming I mean let's hope they can win their home games and maybe steal one on the road because it's it's a tough conference and this doesn't look like a team that's equipped to go out and and beat good teams regularly so Let's see. I mean, that's where I'm at. Let's let's see. I may not watch another Texas basketball game this year. Like that's that's how fed up I am. Like it's crazy that it took one game for me to be like, nope, this is the same old team. Like I was, <sighs> I was in on like maybe maybe they just maybe they're just gonna fly under the radar this year. But but with Big Twelve basketball being what it was, that that showing now they could come out and absolutely blow the doors off the the you know, the, the to close out non-conference and then have some momentum. But if this is the quality of basketball, they're going to play in conference. They're going to get run out of the gym like every other night. And there's no other way to say it. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, it, they play high point who, again, I said should be a good palate cleanser. They're very, very bad. Please go to that game. If you're, if you're in Austin, uh, you could do that on, on Monday and then head to the, the Alamo bowl on Tuesday. Go, go cheer them on. Cause I would love for them to win that game by 40 points. Like I, I'd keep, increasing but they should really destroy that team but then then five days later they turn around uh, and have to take on a really really good Baylor team Oklahoma can can be salty after that I mean they don't get until you know that they're in the they get Kansas midway through January so it's not a real easy um, opening stretch especially their first Big 12 game going to Waco so I I, I, again, I hope I'm wrong, but this this could get ugly here for a little bit before they settle in. So a team that is settled in is the women's basketball team. They put on a show and knocked off number one Stanford, 69 to 64. And this, as disappointed as I was in the men's basketball team, is how proud I was of the way this women's basketball team battled, especially after last year and the kind of the shaky way this this season started for them. Yeah, their ability to bounce back and pull off the biggest upset of the year in women's basketball is is impressive to say the least. I had a weird feeling coming into this one. I don't know why. I, I woke up early and I saw the women's basketball and Longhorn uh, Network tweet out, you know, it's game day. And, and uh, I just was kind of like, I got a weird feeling of like, they might just mess around and do this. I mean, I think obviously the win over a ranked Tennessee and then they took care of Ohio. They were, they were coming in on two-game winning streak feeling pretty good. Um, but just, I mean, just truly hats off to, to Karen Aston, who's who, – 
took a took a couple bumps, right? They're they're seven four now. Um, they lost some games that they probably should not have at the beginning of the season. There's no question, you know, around that. They have lost to one ranked team already, but their other three losses are not to to teams that are you know in theory better than them. Um, but they seem to be having it heading in the right direction. Again, getting ready to go. They have one more game before uh, Big Twelve play. But I think they they found a a really really solid. Um, at least one two punch, and then they kind of underneath that have some rotating parts. But Char- Charlie Collier and, and Joyner Holmes are, are you know looking like a real deal for Texas. One of the you know one of the better uh, front courts in the country. No one was going to want to play this team in the tournament if if their uh, if their bigs are are operating the way those two are right now. The, the unsung hero of this game, I think, is Jada Underwood. She played a really, really solid, like a, a strong defensive game, uh, really kind of locked down. Ten boards, four steals. Uh, those are the spots that people don't normally look at on the stat sheet, but she was she was kind of um, like a, a fly at a, at a cookout, just kind of everywhere really playing incredible, incredible defense for Texas. Yeah, and, and in just a point, Collier was named the, the ESPNW National Player of the Week, averaging 17.5 and 15 points this week, but did have 20 points and 19 rebounds against him, which is fantastic. Jordan Holmes also great with 13 points and 8. She, if you, if you didn't see the game, stole the inbound pass with seconds to go to seal the victory, just a really really awesome moment those two have 16 uh double doubles between them which is fantastic they have 17 as a team to lead the nation so i I think you're right that if it's underwood if it's you know whoever it is that's stepping up as the third player if those two are on um and texas can get anything from another you know player or two um then i think they they can be you know they can be a force to be reckoned with this again their first uh, first win, I believe, since 04 against the AP number one team. Um, so really exciting stuff in the in the world of, uh, of women's basketball. Absolutely. So Texas riding a three-game winning streak, heading into a matchup with Northwestern State on Sunday at the Irwin Center. You can check that out. Hopefully they will be able to string four together to head into conference play. The women riding a nice Nice wave. After their first win against a, t- a number one team since 2004, Kyle, you and I were on campus. Well, I was on campus. You might not have been when the last time that happened. Yeah, that's that. That's correct. I was I was not yet on campus. Um, you're revealing how old you are, Gerald. But I was I was ready. I was I was I was stealing my my loins for uh, for for getting there. So it's it's in our formative years. It could have been a campus visit uh, before you enrolled. So Texas <laughs> diving men and women's combined. Uh, they won the combined team title at the USA Winter Championships with three. Texas Longhorns representing Team USA at the Diving World Cup. So Texas is doing big things on the international stage. Yeah, there's no doubt about Texas being the absolute best program in the country and in the history of, of collegiate swimming. It's not even close. Um, they continue as, as we expected they would. Absolutely. Eddie Reese is probably the greatest of all time, uh, and there's really no competition. Now that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Oh, this week I am banging the drum on Texas and Texas's uh, Texas football and their 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 defense and specifically want to look at um, year one as they bring in a new defensive coordinator that has been announced of course with Chris Ash. Um, I, I did a little looking in the past few years that Texas um, has had that they they fared 
exceptionally well. So in 2005, they unveiled a, a new defensive coordinator and put out the number nine defense. I think we all remember that was a pretty good year in 2008. Also, pretty fantastic year uh, under first-year defensive coordinator, um, put out the number 19 defense. There was something of a shift around there at the turning point um, as as we, we got uh, into the 2010s and out of the aughts. Um, and... Uh, Big 12 really exploded into what we understand Big 12 offense to be. They were doing some some interesting things, certainly, in that time, but they, they really became just conference-wide um, a series of, of juggernauts. And so I think from this point on, and I'll give a couple more stats, but I'm going to draw a line of demarcation there. If you're hoping for a first-year Chris Ash defense to be top 10, boy, I hope I'm wrong, but you're, you're, you probably need to gauge just a smidge your uh, your expectations. But the next three years, in 2011, 2014, and 2017, in the first year of defensive coordinators, they ranked number 34, number 27, and number 30. Which, again, I'm going to say this. If you can be in the top 40 or top 30, uh, especially in the Big 12 right now in 2019, you are a fantastic defense. If if we can have this conversation in one year and we look back and Chris Ash puts out, let's say, yeah, number 31 defense in the country, that would be, again, um, relatively subpar if you just take a look at this really positive trend. Um, number 9, number 19, number 34, number 27, number 30. However, if we can get anywhere above 40, I will be thrilled. I will think that we have taken a step forward. Remember where we were this year. We do have a lot of players coming back, and I will say this. this is my last point on that. These are something of an interesting statistical um, slice because each of these years there was defensive coordinators, and especially in the latter half, who left because they underperformed but really were, were bitten by the bug of having to rely on some younger players and uh, not having the experience ready to kind of step in and when new coordinators came in, they were able to build upon more experience than you had the last year. So we are very much looking at a similar story to 2017 with Todd Orlando's first year when they came in number 30. So keep that in mind as we watch the season, um, the next 365, and we watch what Chris Ash is able to do. Um, I think that there is enough talent on this team for a equally similar uh, number, but, uh, you know, there are some things that have to work, and, and it will he will be worth every dollar if they can finish with that low of a number next to their name. There hasn't been a Big 12 team in the top 10 of total defense in the last 10 years. Well, TCU was 2010, so like 10 years yeah. ago yeah. was the last time. And then before that, was or after that, was Texas at number 11. That was the highest a Big 12 team has been uh and that was 2011 in total defense. That was Manny Diaz's first year. So again, I and and the Big 12 kind of went through a metamorphosis in the early 10s, where the offenses got real, real. The offenses kind of jumped at light speed, and it turned into, hey, if you can keep them from scoring 40 points, then you're going to win football games. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting. Again, I don't think. And it could it could be a good year because OU is going to be breaking in a new quarterback. Still don't know what's going on at TCU. Oklahoma State, their quarterback's good, but they're losing Chuba Hubbard. Uh, Kansas State trying to figure it out. Uh, we haven't seen uh, Alan Bowman stay healthy yet for a season. So it could really be an interesting year for uh, the Big 12 offenses again. And it could be a big year if Texas can, can really put things together with all the talent that they have. So I'm banging the drum this week on a break from tradition and for the first time 
in the hundred and what hundred years of Texas football, hundred and fifty years of Texas football, they're going to be wearing cleats that are not all white or all black. So Texas and Tom Herman coordinated with Nike to get KD branded cleats that are air quotes copper colored for the bowl game. Copper colored is the way Nike talks about burnt orange when it's not the licensed color is uh, copper colored. And so I, to be completely honest with you, do not care what color the shoes are. The players got real excited for it, which is great. Now, if that excitement carries over to them playing well, then I'm okay with it. But the there's some talk that this is a gateway to Texas perhaps introducing alternative looks. And I would not be on board for that. Maybe I'm maybe I'm one of these olds that people talk about on the internet. But I am a traditionalist when it comes to uniforms. I think it's great for those schools that do that. But for Texas, I they have never looked better than when they wore the throwback uniforms this year. Like that was my favorite uniform of the season. And so that's fine. But the traditions of the University of Texas are incredible and part of that tradition is the uniform now i again none of it matters if the performance on the field is ugly so if black uniforms would get texas into the college football playoffs then whatever but i would prefer it to be in burnt orange tops and white pants that's a great point crystal conti you know referenced dkr when he said uh, dance were the ones that brung you and there's also the very famous uh TKR quote about, uh, hell no, I'm not going to candy these things up. These are work clothes. Um, so there is a is a Texas tradition, I will say that, of, of not. Um, I will correct you, Gerald, that it's only been 125 years of Texas football. So maybe the next 25 is where we break from tradition. And again, it will only be if it gets us uh, to the next level. But I like what we have. I like Stormtrooper whites. I like white helmets. I like classic. But I, I think... I think the cleats. It's all right, guys. Let's let's um, let's tweak a little. That's the place to do it. Let's not get too crazy. Let's not get carried away. I could do a nice script, Texas. There's little things that I'm okay with. I, I'm I'm not too much of a purist, but I do not want to see burn orange pants and white jerseys and burn orange helmets or anything crazy uh, like that. Right? Let's uh, let's leave that to the gadget programs. Let's if they touch the away uniforms, I may actually take up pitchforks, like. There's no there's no better uniform in sports than the Texas away white on white on white black shoes. Like there's nothing better than that. And on that note, that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can follow the Texas pregamer at Texas pregamer. And you can follow government cheese at government cheese. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, Merry Christmas. Hook them and happy holidays.